0: welcome to the podcast a monthly podcast brought to you by profitable ideas exchange
1: your partner in strategic relationships and business development we are your hosts aubrey darden
0: and tj dennis
1: Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Today on the show, we have Jacob Parks, affectionately known as JP around the office, who is the president of Profitable Ideas Exchange, having led growth and operations in the company for 17 years. Jacob headed the research team on how clients buy, interviewing over 100 rainmakers at expert services companies, including consultants at Accenture, McKinsey, Baker Tilly, Deloitte, Goldman Sachs, and KPMG. Jacob moderates a peer group of middle market consulting firm CMOs, including CLJ, A.T. Kearney, Siegel, and Simpson-Thatcher. Additionally, he has facilitated executive roundtable discussions on behalf of CFOs and COOs representing the largest companies across the globe.
0: Jacob is taught as an adjunct professor of business at the Jake Jabs School of Entrepreneurship at Montana State University, where he did his undergraduate work. He's currently pursuing a master's of business administration at Gonzaga School of Business. Jacob has published research in academic journals on the topic of driving successful innovation in large corporations. Jacob serves on the board of Spokane Community Colleges Foundation, and he and his wife live in Spokane, Washington. He can be reached at jm.parks@profitableideas.com or through the PI website, which is www.profitableideas com.
1: Great. Well, welcome to the show, Jacob. Um, we're super excited to have you. So just to start off, I'm not sure that many of our listeners know this, but you are one of the most tenured uh, members of Pi. So over the course of your career here and, and now being a member of the leadership team, curious to hear what some of the dynamic changes you've seen at Pi are and what makes this job still interesting after almost 20 years here? <laughs>
2: Well, great. Yeah. Thanks, Aubrey. And thanks, TJ, for having me on. I'm I'm excited to be on the pod. Uh, I guess I'm a friend of the pod now, which is great. (laughs) there have been a number of different kind of dynamic changes. I'll I'll just kind of break it into three buckets. I think the first one is is just the business model that we utilize itself. When I came to Pi in 2003, we didn't have commitment to a business model. Um, We were actually testing a number of different theses. We knew that executives could improve their performance, Uh, get value and do so in an efficient way if we did the process that we run, interviewing the executives, creating an agenda that's bespoke to their interests, and doing a time-efficient session where their questions are answered. We knew there was something there, but we didn't have clarity on the funding model. In fact, we used to do these groups on a a pay-to-join basis where we would invite people to pay to join. And so I think the first change was after a number of years, we committed to this model where expert service firms sponsor a community of folks that they want to get to know. And I think that's the first change I would probably mention is commitment to that business model took some time and there were a lot of bumps in the road, but I think that was the first kind of big change that I saw. The other thing I would say, and it's, it's not surprising to anybody listening to this, is that technology has changed everything. Um, Can you believe that when I started at Pi in 2003, meeting requests didn't even exist? Uh, We were just calling people and hoping that they manually put stuff into their calendar to join our sessions. Uh, So like the explosion and improvement in digital technology has been really, really helpful for us in terms of being able to engage executives. Not surprisingly, the last thing I would mention is that there's a flip side to that, which is the amount of stuff that's out there, webinars, digital engagements, uh, supposed communities. It's a lot of garbage out there where executives and other key people go to these sessions and walk away dissatisfied uh, because it tends to be a pitch or the supposed CFO peer group is actually a bunch of financial analysts who are early in their career. And so I think that we've had to work hard to make sure that our quality remains as other digital techniques, you know, sort of crop up that aren't as effective. So just for my own curiosity, did you you start to
0: see more folks joining on calls when you actually had calendar invites or was it kind of
2: moot at that point? No, absolutely, we did. And I think on some level, we saw more people joining, but also we were able to control our process a little better. Like yeah. we could apply resources to a session that we knew didn't have that many people. Whereas in the beginning, it was still a little bit of a guessing game. So I, I think it just allowed us more than anything else to more appropriately apply our resources and deliver more consistent quality. Sure. That
0: makes sense. And it's interesting because I, I as long as I've worked professionally, I've never not had that, you've always been able to put time on people's calendars, so that's very interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah
0: so, so relationship building is one of the uh, core principles for success at Pi. What does that look like for you? And then how do you approach relationship building?
2: Yeah, so it's, it's, it is, I mean, to my mind, it is almost everything um, in business. It really is the most important thing. And, and it's not a zero sum game. And by that, I mean, I view it more as like a gas tank Uh, that you fill up and use when you need to, but you know that if you lean too hard on your your sort of relationships and and those people, your gas tank is gonna run empty if you make it too much of a zero-sum game. Mm. And so I think relationship development is really key. I'll just give a quick example of someone, a good friend of mine, a guy called Rick Kubiak, who works for a company called Procore. He called me up the other day and he said, hey, I'm advising someone and he's starting an expert services company. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to spend 30 minutes with him uh, to talk about some challenges he has. Riggs and I have known each other since we were 14 years old. Uh, We talked to each other about everything. We are very literally best friends. But he is protecting our relationship capital by making a two-way ask by making sure I'm okay giving my time and this person is okay talking to me. So that is a tiny little thing, but I think it illustrates a philosophy of relationship development that you really need to be careful what you do and make sure there's mutual value in basically everything. So there is this one word that I think we try to live by culturally in our company and it's called lagniappe. So so lagniappe is a French word that they, they quite frequently use down in New Orleans, but basically it means A gift that a merchant gives to a customer to reward them for being a customer. I think the often uh, cited example is the 13th roll of a baker's dozen given to a a priority customer. Mm. We use this basically as a cultural tenet of our company. And we tell our people, look for the lawnmower. Look for the opportunity to do something a little extra for your client. To make one additional ask on their behalf. Uh, to get one additional executive to a particular engagement. I think that is my philosophy, is just trying to add a little bit of extra value, whatever you can. But important, what I talked about earlier, you can't just empty your tank of relationships. It has to be iterative. You have to be creating value um, Mm -hmm. as well as giving value. And lastly, I had this great professor at, at Gonzaga called Dr. Stevens, And he talked about this idea that you have two kinds of of sort of relationships. Your broad relationships with a bunch of different professional colleagues and you lean on them for a variety of things. But everybody should get five people they trust. Five people they can call on when they have a deep challenge that they respect their opinion and they can trust for career advice. And I have that in a form of a few colleagues, a few friends like Riggs that I mentioned but I think that's a really good way to look at it too, is you need to have five people that you can count on in a pinch. Those are those uh, five people that you pin to the top of your text messages in your iPhone. That is exactly where they live. Uh, <laughs> in, in, since I don't have a social life because of COVID, I only have business text. so that's exactly where I live on my phone.
1: It's funny, the, that new technology on the iPhone with the pinning to the top of the text, it messed me up for so long. I would go looking for my text chain with that person and realize it was just right at the top.
2: It's so, fantastic though. Once you get used to it.
1: It is, I have gotten used to it and it does save me time. I will say that. <laughs> um, but, but uh, Jacob, so talking about the lawn yap, can you tell us a little bit more about how that plays into our business? Like what is the lawn yap we deliver to our clients? Why, why do they keep coming back to work with us? You know, some of them for a decade.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, In general, I think most people listening know this, but we're in the business of of building a bridge between our clients' expertise and the people who need that expertise. It also will not surprise anybody that we don't particularly like selling. People who went to school for seven years to become lawyers or for six years to become CPAs or, or for however many years you have to go to school to become a certified engineer, they don't exactly picture themselves in short-sleeved shirts uh, negotiating car prices on a used car lot. And that is, frankly, the way that they see uh, sales in many contexts. And so when I think about delivering the lawn yap and going the extra mile for our clients, that's exactly the way that I think about it is. What can we do that's a little extra to not sell people stuff? Because that implies a, a transaction where someone wins and someone loses. But how do we help them find the right people that they can work with? Um, There's an analogy that I use that is a stretch, a stretch, but bear with me. And it's as a consultant, you're a doctor on a plane. And I think that our goal is to help those people find the right audience. So, So you're like, doctor on a plane, that sounds pretentious and ridiculous. What are you talking about? And here's what I mean a doctor walks onto a plane, and it would be absurd for them to go, hey, I'm a doctor. In case anyone needs any help while I'm here, I'd be happy to help. Uh, I specialize in surgery. So whatever you need, just give me a, a, a small paperclip and I can probably take care of you. That seems ridiculous and nobody probably believes it. The same is actually true of consulting, right? I walk into a room and I go, I can solve your tax problems. No problem. I'm the guy. That seems sort of patently ridiculous. But if someone is sick on a plane, that doctor better stand up and help them a doctor better get back to the back of the plane and do anything they can to save that person's life. And I think that they have some kind of oath that they take that makes them do that. And I think we can adopt a little bit of that as consultants. We should help people when they need our help because we have a unique expertise to help them. And so when I think of delivering the lawn yacht, I think of finding those opportunities as needle in a haystack as they might be on behalf of our clients and connecting that expertise to that opportunity. Yeah, makes, a lot of, makes a lot of sense.
1: I love that. Yeah, Well, you said maybe it is a little bit of a stretch, but I, I love the way it's going back to what we were talking about at the beginning. It's really about building that relationship and and making it less about sales and selling them something and more about connecting the people that have a challenge and a solution that could work together and providing value to them through that, right?
2: That's right. I mean, we wrote the book and I think we didn't name it. The people we did the interviews with named it. Every expert service leader we talked to was like, never say sell. In fact, I reached out to one of another, one of my close friends, another person in my five, uh, Scott Wallace is his name. And we interviewed him for the book. And he said to me, the first thing he said to me is, well, I would never say sell. He's like, I have a business I have to grow and we need to earn new work, but I would never say sell in my office. Uh, and so that's kind of how we got to that title is that we're not selling, we're looking for ways to engage and create value in, in a collaborative fashion. I must add that it is difficult to not
0: say sell. I find myself using the word sell in my own life and, not, and disliking it, even if it's not related to business development at all.
2: <laughs> I will tell you that uh, with my partner, I wrote a book called Never Say Sell, and I think the editors took out some 2000 versions of the word sell. Really, so we couldn't help ourselves either uh, <laughs> because I think it's just, it's interesting, right? I, I think it's a construct that doesn't apply to expert services. Like it's almost like we need another word. Selling a car is in fact selling and engaging in, 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 the, in the procurement of professional services feels entirely different to me. Mm-hmm. It's like a different thing. And that's because of course, as we always talk about, cars are sold on features and benefits, something we can analyze, And services are sold on referral, reputation, and trust.
0: Makes sense. So in uh, staying on the topic of never say sell, uh, business relationships, business development, and building trust, how has this changed over time, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic, which is still very much happening? um, And how is this creating kind of a hybrid COVID existence? Um, If you were going to, and part two of that question is if you would go back and change any parts of the book, uh, it through the lens of COVID, would you?
2: It's it's a great question. So interesting. Like we we turned the book in. I think as the as the pandemic started, we turned the book in, and, and we actually wrote an additional little opening to say, "Hey, this pandemic is going on," and I, I, you know, at that point, it was like three or four weeks to flatten the curve, and we would be out of this. And and here we are in year two. Um, so COVID has been, I think, a nightmare. I think it's made relationship mm-hmm. development really hard. Um, I know, like many of you, I did a number of Zoom sort of cocktail hours with my friends at the beginning of the pandemic. And I found it to be a, a, a truly disappointing experience that, that I couldn't actually connect with my friends. And it felt so performative uh, to try to do this thing, particularly after about nine hours of Zoom calls with my colleagues that day. Right. It, it just felt impossible. So I think we have had to adjust a little bit of what we do in terms of relationship development. I will just tell you that my first instinct, if we ever have a prickly situation, a tough thing going on with a client is like, get me a plane ticket. I'm going out there to see that person so they can see that I care, uh, that I'm fired up about their issue. And having that taken away from us, I think has just been, it's inhibited our ability to, to sort of create relationships. I talked about this a little bit earlier, but I also think that some of the things that that we used to do to sort of keep relationships alive, to nurture relationships. Here's a piece I thought you might find interesting. Um, I wanna introduce you to this person. Because there is this proliferation of garbage out there, it's harder and harder to rise above sort of all the different automated techniques. I'll tell a quick story. Um, I was applying to get a a new mortgage recently. And I, and I, I went through all the process I signed up. I got the mortgage. I worked with one particular guy, and so on my final call with him, I said, "Hey, you know, I'm. Uh, I got a mortgage with you. You can stop sending me the like notifications from your email box about new mortgage rates. I literally just finished buying one from you five minutes ago." And he was like, "Oh, I, don't worry about that. I can't turn that off. That's going to keep coming to you." Oh. So emails from his name to me, impersonal. So I think the lesson I'm trying to offer is that. Reliance on automated technologies can get you into a lot of hot water. And so as COVID-19 has spread throughout our country, I just think I would encourage people not to be reliant on that type of technology, to find the way to do something unique. Uh, So one person I've been talking to a a fair bit recently described the wet ink project. I'm careful saying that because sometimes people think I'm saying wetting, but what I'm saying is wet ink, like with a pen. And he said, all we're doing is basically we're printing out good pieces that we've written. We're literally walking them around to our partners and saying, write a one sentence note on this to this client. And we're sending it out on their behalf. And they're getting tremendous response from because nobody's doing stuff like this. Nobody's in the office to do the mailing. Uh, You know, everybody's at home. Everybody's sending emails. So little techniques like that, I think, can be dramatically influential in a time when people have kind of abandoned that philosophy. With respect to changing the book, hmm, uh, I think I probably would have written a section of the book about what's happening right now and kind of the changes we're seeing, but the underlying truth about the, the way you need to continue to develop relationships, to ask questions, uh, to use your process to get to know other people in the organization and, and to scope new work basically based on the great work you're doing. I think all of that underpinning is true. We just have to be careful of a, of a few new tracks uh, that exists because of COVID-19. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I wanted to circle back kind of on this subject and on one thing you were talking about earlier with, just, there's so much out there, there's webinars now with COVID there's zoom fatigue and there's just so much hitting people. How do you feel like, how do you feel like Pi has pivoted and, and helped cut through that noise?
2: Yeah, so I, I think we've pivoted by continuing to illustrate quality and having a lot of rigor around the things that we think are really important. And so what are those things? Time efficiency. So we're still not going to waste your time. I think that it continues to be incredibly important. Uh, Pure level. I think this is one that we really use as sort of important against webinars, which is to say CFOs want to talk to CFOs. That is a universal truth. And if you get a CFO on the call with a finance director, over time, that trust is going to erode and they're going to stop coming to those sessions. Um, and then lastly, I think that people want to have input on what they're talking about or what they're hearing about. And so the, the utilization of their specific questions to create the agenda is super important. Um, I think a webinar tends to be a sort of a micro version of a macro tactic, of a broadcast tactic, of, of what is essentially advertising to a smaller group. But my fear with that is you don't get the right people in the room. You do a really compelling presentation for a load of graduate students who are finishing up a paper. Uh, that you, you need better sort of uh, engagement with the people you want to serve. Um, anyhow, I think that's what I'd say.
0: And I think that everybody likes their voice being elevated in some way, shape or form. So I definitely agree.
2: So that was one of the things, interestingly, in my career. So we talked early about change that was surprising to me when we first started this business. I think that we were really focused on efficiency, like don't waste time, don't have reach outs that that are unnecessary, like do the sessions, add the value, that's it. And I think an example of that is we were reluctant to write pieces on behalf of our clients where we quoted executives because we didn't want to put that burden on them. And over time, after doing more writing, it turns out people love being quoted in books. People don't mind offering their their accumulated expertise to be sort of have their name printed in a book. It's it's sort of flattering. Um, And so that's another thing I've learned, TJ, is that people do like to kind of have their voices elevated. and I think you can, you can use that um, as a mechanism for getting their engagement. Totally, totally.
0: Okay, so enough of the, the business questions. Now I have a fun one. And this is, I, I'm, I've started to ask this to random people in my life. So I'm curious for your perspective. If money wasn't an option, either you had all of it or nobody had any of it, but you still had to work, what would be the job that you would choose to do? You can be anywhere in the world, do just about anything. But what would be your dream job? Geez, I wish you would have prepared me for this one. <laughs> um, it's amazing, by the way, how many people resort immediately to being a fishing or ski guide. I think a lot yeah, of that so being based in Montana, but.
2: I don't have that problem. I, I, I see this in, 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 two tr- in sort of two tracks. So sometimes after a stressful 50 hour week, what I think would feel like really rewarding work is the kind of work in which you can see your progress. So I live in Spokane, Washington. And over the past week, we've had more snow than I remember in the last few years. Like there was probably yesterday, 13 or 14 inches of snow on the ground. Mm -hmm. And I walked outside to get my mail in the blizzard. And it's a decent walk up the hill to my my mailbox at my house. And I look over and I see my neighbor with a giant smile on his face, snow blowing his walk. And I can see the satisfaction. I can see the snow perfectly being removed from the sidewalk into a neat pile. And I think, my God, that looks like satisfying work. It's easy. It's successful. Uh, it's a com- like you have an accomplishment at the end. So I think if I needed that sort of reprieve, I might do something like that uh, because it looks satisfying. But probably a more serious answer is that I would be a teacher at a community college. Okay. Um, I I currently am on the the sort of Spokane Community College Foundation. So I work to sort of raise money and and help students with scholarships and things like that. As part of that job, it's not a job, it's, it's a volunteer. I'm on the scholarship committee and we read scholarships and we sort of grade scholarship applications. And I think if you're looking for a place in our country where we can have the most Impact on people's lives, and we can create better lives for people. I think it is in the community college setting. I think helping to keep those people in school uh, via a variety of techniques is important. And I think I would love to engage with those people and, and teach them some kind of subject. And I will tell you, like, you cannot read scholarship applications without crying. The stories are heartbreaking, they're moving. And these are people who are busting their asses to improve their lives. And I think if I could do anything in the world, I would help them on that journey. Very cool.
1: Yeah, that's so amazing. And so cool that you get to have, while maybe not being a teacher at the community college, you do get to have some impact on on those people. That's amazing.
2: Or snow blowing, who knows?
1: (laughs) Or snow blowing, could go either way. Uh, great, Jacob. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today and for taking the time to chat with us. We're grateful to have you as one of our fearless leaders here at Pi. And, and um, yeah, great having you on the show.
2: Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Jacob. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you for listening to the Pi brought to you by Profitable Ideas Exchange. If you enjoyed the content in this month's discussion, please visit our blog at ProfitableIdeas.com or check out our books, Never Say Sell and How Clients Buy.
0: Profitable Ideas Exchange, connecting powerful minds and making the world smarter and smaller.